0: Today's guest speaker is Dr. Svetlana Maric, who is currently the Director of Engineering, Data Science and Technology programs at the University of California, San Diego. Dr. Maric previously held the position of Senior Lecturer at Cambridge University in UK. He holds PhD in Engineering from University of Rochester and Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from University of Novi Sad. Congratulations on your career and thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, I'm excited to talk about my experiences and current uh, job and the opportunities that we have here uh, in relation with other engineering companies and uh, education as well.
0: Thank you. So let me start by asking you about your current work. You are the director of the program that offers 30 professional certificates in different technology areas. One of these programs is the Wireless Communication Technologies program. So what do students learn in this program?
1: Um, So let me let me backtrack just a little bit and say that in general. uh, My job is extremely interesting because I do. I get to go around and learn about new technologies, and I think that's very interesting. Maybe people won't agree because people will say, well, engineering is boring. But for me, it's always interesting to go around and learn what's new and try to develop courses in that. And so last year, what happened was that Motorola came to us and told us, we can't hire people for a wireless technologist, or in other words, for someone that can go into the field and deploy our wireless systems and fix our wireless systems and tell the people what's wrong with them. And can you help? And so we worked very closely with them to develop this nine month program that anyone can actually take. People that don't want to go to college, uh, are interested in technology, can take our program. It lasts for nine months. It has two courses, which are basic courses. One of them is about radio equipment that will be deployed in, uh, in the field. And the other one is basically the network that connects these uh, elements in the field. And so after these two courses, uh, Motorola and their partners said, we can give you an internship. And after that, you can keep working for whichever company uh, you choose between Motorola and hundreds of partners that they have. Um, So I think it's a fantastic opportunity for young people. It offers an opportunity to learn something, to advance, to really be useful in the telecommunication industry.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I was going to ask you how long. So nine months. Is it very intensive program? Is it full time?
1: Um, no, it is not uh, that ex- uh, demanding. Uh, so each of our courses is a quarter, like any UC San Diego course. Uh, it is a 30-hour course uh, over three months, and then so there are two of them. And then after that, there is an internship program in in the company where you actually learn practical skills and uh, implement what you learned in our two courses. Uh, It is not full time. It can all our courses are asynchronous online, uh, so you can take it. You can't take it at your own pace, but you have to look at the lecture weekly. There are office hours. every week and the instructor helps with the material. And so it is not that demanding.
0: But Motorola provides internship. That's amazing.
1: Uh, Motorola, Not only Motorola, but Motorola has quite a few partners all over the US and uh, they're all in a situation where they can't find people to work for them. Um, And uh, they're looking for people. Uh, We just went to a conference of Motorola and their partners and there are hundreds of companies asking us when are we going to finally start the program and uh, so I'm very excited to say that it will start in March and hopefully we'll have first graduates by the end of the year.
0: It's very hands-on, uh, meaning uh, when they graduate they are actually uh, able
1: to do work. Correct. It's not a theoretical position. That's why you really don't need background in engineering you don't have to go for a, to a four-year university to gain skills uh, to be able to work in this field
0: so you said anyone can take it is there any uh, specific demographics that can or cannot do well in this um,
1: program or job i i hope not i hope that anyone can uh, can attend and uh, be successful in it uh, we in san diego as you know have a Uh, being on the border, have a huge Latin population. We are trying to engage them in the program as well. Uh, We, we, I don't think that anyone distinguishes uh, for this job.
0: Oh, that's great. So as a director, of course, you don't have day to day insight into every job the school offers. But to the best of your knowledge, what does wireless communication technologies do? Like, what are some typical tasks or problems they solve?
1: So, for this for this um, position, there are two parts um, to the equation. One is the elements. So, there are when you go into the field, um, may that be military, uh, commercial, private uh, industry. There are thousands of these radio networks, radio elements that are sitting everywhere. So one thing is that you are able to go to the field, identify the radio element, and detect and be able to figure out what's not working with it. For that, we teach you what type of instruments to use, how to troubleshoot the actual uh, equipment and how to repair it. Uh, And then the second part of the equation is the network. If your radio element seems to be working properly, maybe it's the network. So then you have to look at, is it a wireless connection? Like when you're in your home and your Wi-Fi doesn't work, uh, you start disconnecting the router and uh, reconnecting it. We hope that our uh, graduates would actually know a little bit better than that and be able to diagnose the the network problem and fix that as well.
0: So it's both uh, on-premises and
1: outdoors. Uh, yes, it can be both outdoors and indoors. Uh, you are these days. You are witnessing all these big companies having more and more private networks, especially in big factories. Uh, they don't want to. They don't want to interfere with uh, the public domain with the public spectrum. So they design their own private networks. Uh, so it can be inside of a of a big factory, a big uh, uh, storage facility. Uh, it can, but it can also be outside, especially if it is for the military, uh, because uh, military employs a lot of these uh, devices from Motorola, of course.
0: Right, and is this something uh, that maybe like a small company uh, will just outsource, like they will call, and where a big company like factory will have someone like full-time working for them?
1: So that's an excellent question. That is where, that is why I keep saying throughout our conversation, Motorola and its partners. Motorola produces all this equipment, but then what they do is they get all these local vendors, big and small. It can be even a pop and mom shop that will distribute these elements to the customer. And so that's where, you know, that's so you can work actually for Motorola, but you can actually go and work for a vendor Uh, depends on who has the opening and who has the most compatibility with uh, what your interests are.
0: That's great. So someone who is interested in uh, being their own boss, they can start their own business.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, especially, as I said, Motorola welcomes uh, this type of uh, organization where you sell their equipment to the locally and implement the equipment and make sure it works, but you can also go and work for a big wireless company that uses the equipment. So it's up to you what you prefer.
0: So it's usually is it usually that one person uh, is enough to go fix problem, or maybe it's so narrowly specialized that you need a couple.
1: <laughs> so I wouldn't. I I I wouldn't know to answer that question. Uh, I don't know how the groups work and right. uh, uh, it depends I guess depends on the the nature of the problem I'm sure that if you if it's a problem in the army in the military uh, they would deploy immediately as many people as they want because these are what uh, are termed mission critical systems so they right. cannot be down for a long time uh, but if it is something you know like yours or my wi-fi is not working someone right. may come in a day or two alone so right Right. you
0: think maybe this job is stressful for some people all the pressure like if like if entire factory is <laughs> down
1: um I, I, of course i mean every every job in this type of industry has its pressures and you know you you learn to deal with it um and if you are ambitious enough you are successful and uh, can easily advance because as i said there are quite a few openings and uh people need managers people you know companies need supervisors people need trainers for uh, for new hires um so i think it's a very nice opportunity again you know a lot of us don't want to go to college let's face it and uh, especially they don't see the value versus the loans with uh, today expenses of college education and so this can be a, a very nice alternative to that.
0: Right. So one last question about this program because this is online. Uh, can anybody from anywhere in uh, US take
1: it? Yes, we are hoping so. Um, uh, you know, I I can provide the link or in, after that after our talk, it's actually on our LinkedIn site. Um, anyone can attend it. The first course, the first two courses are online. Uh, So you just go to the website and you register, and then once you complete these two courses, uh, you can select an internship. But there is also an opportunity to take a third course, which is a little bit more specialized. We have a couple of those, what we call electives. And so you can take uh, those courses instead of an internship. So that will again be online.
0: And how about uh, Canada?
1: That's an interesting question, again, because when we were at the Motorola conference last week, there were actually two vendors from Canada uh, and uh, asking about the program. Of course, you can take the program from internationally, from wherever you want. Uh, We do have, uh, as an example, we have a a couple of programs with people from Serbia, and uh, so they take our courses as well. Uh, so anyone, the, there was one issue with the Canada person that came to the to the conference, he said, how about doing this in French? Because he was from Quebec. And I said, well, okay, now you're pushing it a little bit, but I'm sure we can somehow translate the material if you desperately need it.
0: So. Right, right, that's true. But anyone, if they want to take it in English, they can finish course. And uh, is there like certificates issued, right, with, when course is yes. finished? Yes, so
1: the certificate will come from UC San Diego.
0: And I I would imagine all compliance would be very similar between Canada and US. Somebody will be well-equipped to do work in Canada.
1: Yes, I think it's the same system.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So let me segue into um, your work as engineer in uh, wireless communication. So you have more than 20 years of experience in designing wireless communication systems. And because I know some young people might think this is cool, uh, if possible, to explain briefly in layman's terms, like for those of us who are not electrical and communication engineer, what does that look like? How do you design a wireless communication system?
1: Um, okay, so I'll try. Uh, I'll try to be brief, but yet to explain a few things. Right. Um, so I, I, I actually got into uh, doing wireless communications from radar systems. Uh, my PhD was in radar. And that was back in the early 1990s, when there was practically no wireless or practically no digital wireless system in the US. Uh, and in Europe, they were just having the GSM system, which is in in function even today. Um, so there were no people that knew wireless. And uh, our radar is a little, there are some similarities between the radar and, and the wireless system. So I understood I can't get a job in the Navy or in the military because of the clearance, so I simply raised the radar from my resume and put in wireless and that's how I started doing wireless communications. Um, so when you design a system, uh, there, are, there are things that you have to obey and the, the first thing that you have to obey are the laws of physics, um, meaning these sound waves propagate through the air as they propagate. There is not much you can do about it um, and There are only certain frequencies that are available for your wireless communications. So when you start designing a system, you have to keep in mind uh, that your electronics have to transmit at the frequencies that are allowed by the uh, governing bodies uh, to be used for wireless systems. And then in order to have a wireless system, you won't believe how many aspects there are. It is not just transmitting the waves, but you have to transmit the signals. Uh, You have to transmit uh, all kinds of protocols. And so when you design a system, the system is divided in layers to help you to ease your design. And no one can be an expert in in all of these layers. So for instance, my expertise was in in uh, as i mentioned in radio propagation but there were people that uh, would be designing uh ways to protect the message so that it doesn't get uh, corrupted there are people that would be designing uh signaling messages and by signaling i mean when you when you are when you when you're receiving a phone call you there is a signal so there are people that design just the signals uh, there are people that design by now famous apps and how they work in the phone so what you have to do is specialize in different little areas that all go into your uh, mobile radio or your base station um is it cool or not that i'm not 100 sure i think it any job is cool if you make it cool and if it is of interest to you if it's if you if you don't make it interesting, you're going to get bored and you won't be successful in it.
0: current role you're involved in some outreach programs uh, or courses offered to high school uh, students. Uh, so there are two things I want to ask you about. What is your take on? Um, importance? One is the uh, importance of strong fundamentals like math. Uh, so everyone knows if you want to enter engineering uh, undergrad program, math is required. People know it's required; you must have it. But I think there is a the lack of understanding. Like if you love technology, then you know, and there is no imposed requirement. I, uh, you know, there is a problem because kids usually don't understand like that. This is still important, even though it's not requirement. Uh, what can be done there?
1: Um, yeah, that is a very common problem. In fact. Uh, we at University of California in San Diego have a huge problem in retaining, uh, first year undergraduates because, as you said, you ask people, you ask students in high school what do you want to study and 80% will say computer science or electrical engineering. Uh, Some of them will say mechanical engineering without clear understanding what that means. And then they get accepted to the UCs and suddenly understand that this is not what they were looking for, and they start leaving. And it's a huge problem for a university because suddenly they have all these empty spaces and that's not good. So I think it's crucial that high schools, and not only the US, but all over the world, do a better job in teaching engineering. Um, And as you said, everyone has met and then they leave it like that. Uh, what we need is to go to high schools and say, "Oh, you just had this math. Let's see if we can apply it in an engineering field." I, I think the best example these days is machine learning. Everyone wants to do machine learning, so right. uh, you know there are there are quite a few areas of math that are necessary for machine learning and basic example would be a matrix. Everyone uses matrices, or everyone teaches matrices in high school. But no one says, why do you need these matrices? Well, matrices are crucial to help you design algorithms in machine learning. Or my my PhD was in number theory. And uh, I asked my son, do you know, once I asked my son, do you know what's a a prime number? He said, yeah, it's a number that can be divided only by itself and by by one. And I said, well, do you know any application of it? And he was like, oh, there are applications of it. And you know, I said, sure, there are applications of it in communication system, in radar systems, and so children or students in high school get really surprised when they hear a real-time math application. So I think that's what we have to do: go to high schools and teach them a little bit engineering and uh, how that, how what they learn in high school is used in later in life. And and you know, another another nice example again from my Area of work and what you asked me before about parts of wireless systems is how do you use math to transmit your voice and uh, anyone's voice over the wi- over the wireless, over your iPhones or Galaxies or what you have, and then and I always start with a story about how you transfer the voice from your normal voice to zeros and ones because it is transmitted digitally, and then I ask. Um, well you understand there is a noise in the system and so your zero can be uh, actually manipulated to become a 0.5 or a 0.6 and therefore your system interprets it as a one so how would you prevent it and a lot of kids will say oh if i put in two zeros or three zeros it's a very small probability that all of them will be made <laughs> to become a one and create an error and so you know that's a that's a first step in something very complicated which is called information theory. Basically, how do you prevent your system from errors? But there are so many implications on what happens when you transmit three zeros instead of one. Now you're crowding the system. So you have to do all kinds of optimization uh, to make it work. So and that's all in your math.
0: So because you have contact with the young students again, um, I know there are about only like 10% um, Women in undergrad computer science. And I don't know how it's in North America. This is North American science. And I don't know how it's that in engineering. And how what the situation in your programs?
1: Um so I can tell you I can tell you first the high school story. And that is when I was I decided that I'm gonna do exactly what we just discussed, that to bring engineering to high schools. And I did a little after hour program in in, in my children's high school. And, and I started doing this and I had 15 students and you can guess how many uh, girls I had, zero. Uh, So the problem is, the problem is way, it happens way before they decide what to study. And it's not the problem of children, it's the problem of parents because for some reason they think engineering is physically demanding or it's not cool or, 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 so there's a disconnect between what parents think about engineering and what that really is. Uh, so that's that's one issue. Uh, and that has to be explained to the parents, especially of young women. Another story I heard is that uh, women in general love to help people and they don't see technology uh, and how it helps people. And I think that's another thing that we have to do to explain the human side of technology and make it more accessible to everyone. And just yesterday, I was at the conference here downtown, and uh, my sister is also an engineer, and she was giving a talk, and she and she and another woman were only two and enge- two only women engineers in the room. Uh, so you know no matter how hard we try, we have a problem.
0: Right. This is like women in technology. It's a huge topic. And I, I just want to focus on one particular aspect of it today. So I was going to say like having a meaningful career helps us have a meaningful life. So we all see teachers and doctors and it's obvious how their work helps other people. Like it's obvious, like even little kids see that. But when we drive, let's say over the uh, bridge, we don't think about an engineer who designed this amazing structure that saves us half an hour every day for, for decades. Like we we don't think uh, as that engineer is someone who is helping us. So maybe, you know, how can we help girls realize that career in technology can actually make the world better place. Like where, where do we start? Um,
1: again, it has to, I think it has to start somehow in high schools, um, but uh, I wish I would have an answer to your question. To your question oh yeah and it's, it's would, a big
0: problem it's a big problem but if we can have little tips here and there maybe we can
1: <laughs> i was uh i was recently at a, at a at a conference on women in leadership and you know uh, there was a uh, there was a woman that is a ceo of her own startup and she says you know i hire i think she said i think she said 50 50 or she said i hire only women and you know i told her you are a problem here because It is fantastic that you hire women 50-50 or all women, but that means that you're hiring two out of three women and two out of 100 men resumes that you get. What you need is to have 50 resumes of men and 50 resumes of women. Only then you are doing a good job of educating and hiring women. And I still think it has to start in high schools.
0: And you also mentioned parents. So obviously everything is parents see. fault, uh, uh, you know, but <laughs> what do parents do wrong here? Have you noticed anything?
1: A lot of times parents will say, oh Matt, that's too complicated, which is not true. Um, and that discourages okay. people or. Um, um, but
0: so what? Like if it, you know, why does that mean girl? I do Again, that? I
1: wish I would have a I would have an answer to that question. Um, my sister wasn't discouraged; she's an engineer. Uh, however, my daughter didn't want to touch engineering. Which, um no, no one would no one forced her, no one either way. But you know that was her choice, and uh, it was my sister's choice to do engineering. Uh, I wish it would be individual, and uh, that women in high school would be better equipped to make decisions to do go into technology and in in engineering. Right. This is a vague answer, I know that, but...
0: uh... Yeah, we're not going to solve this today, but (laughs) some uh, some good thoughts. So you spent several years at the University of Cambridge, which is really amazing. How was life and teaching there?
1: So, so yes, that's a that was an amazing experience. Uh, my first uh, my first shock uh, when I started teaching was that they, at least in Cambridge, I don't know about the whole England, is that they don't have books. Um, they don't; they are not required to buy textbooks. So suddenly, I found myself in uh, having to explain everything in in the smallest detail in the classroom and give them. Uh, printouts, uh, it was it was a few years back, so nothing, it was not available on, um, uh, electronically. So that was the first surprise to me that uh, I had to go really into big detail. And then the second thing that was really interesting was that, which is not that different from the US, is that the students were from all over the world and they were extremely ambitious and you had to really be at your best every time you give a lecture uh, because they start, if if you're not, they start throwing little airplanes at you uh, from the amphitheater. Um, So that was that was the teaching part. And um, I I had a couple of graduate students that were just amazing. Uh, One of them, when he did his PhD, went back to Hong Kong, became uh, the chairman of the department, became really world famous in in wireless communications. Uh, I had a couple of more like that but whole life was uh was very interesting because the life pretty much revolves around life in in colleges uh you you ha- you can have lunch in the college you can have dinner in the college uh all the all the professors that belong to the college sit there and discuss uh, all kinds of issues uh, sit there in the afternoon if you're older you probably don't do much work but sit in the Common room and uh, drink coffee or tea and uh, read the newspaper and the younger people uh, discussing uh, world uh, affairs. Um, but the whole, the, and, you know, the whole city is absolutely fantastic and uh, really motivates you to, to learn and to be your best. But, but, but I think at the end of the day, it was a fantastic experience because members of the college are professors from all kinds of disciplines so you you get to talk about biology you get to talk about other sciences economy uh and not only engineering like you have here uh, where you are pretty much confined to your engineering department i think that's a, that's a very nice experience and it broadens your horizons
0: it sounds like social life was really great like if you had a common space where all professors can hang out all the time. That sounds really good.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. We had, uh, as I said, there is this um, room, which is called a common room. And uh, they all gather there before, uh, after lunch, and then once a week, there is a fellows dinner where they all come and after the dinner, they sit and discuss, well, I don't know, important things or, uh, but it's, it's a very nice social community, yes.
0: Well, that's nice. Once a week, that's pretty frequent. If you get to spend time with your colleagues, that's great.
1: Yes, you're not obliged to go, but uh, a lot of right. people do go because it's a, a you know, it's a pleasant uh, atmosphere. Definitely.
0: So are resources uh, abundant? Like I imagine you had your own lab, like uh, anything you ask for, can can you have anything you
1: need? um The good thing about working in Cambridge is because when you submit a grant for money, especially to, to the uh, European Union, uh, they would look very favorably because, you know, it's Cambridge. So the funding uh, was really good for the labs and uh, you can get what you what you ask for. Um, and I was a little bit surprised on the other hand that some of their undergraduate labs are not that modern um, but they still do their job but when it comes to mm, you know like a wireless lab where you have to uh, get some specialized equipment that was never an issue um but it's not much different from anywhere else in the world Uh, you get that in serbia these days with uh, the boom of i.t and so, and you know, rich universities in the U.S. are probably better than Cambridge uh, when it comes to money. Mm-hmm.
0: So my last question is: like, you have decades of experience in teaching and contact with young generations. Is there anything else career-related you would like to convey to the youth?
1: Um, yes, actually, I have a, I have a, a message to everyone that does study engineering and then goes to work for a company, uh, you know, any any famous company can do Apple or, uh, well, in my case, Qualcomm, any, any technology company that you go to work for, don't assume that your job and your position is permanent. Uh, you have to keep studying and keep learning new technologies. And that's not propaganda of my current job, where we teach new technologies to everyone that wants to take them. But you really can't sit back and think, "Okay, I made it, I graduated, I got a nice job. Uh, Technology changes so fast that you really have to, you know, keep up with it. Uh, Go to, if you can, go to conferences. There are plenty of local IEEE organizations or, that you can hear new things and just keep just keep making sure that you're on top of uh whatever comes new because if the company doesn't work well or you know you get bored you want a new job uh if you're not on top of things you won't be able to 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 get a new job
0: oh that's excellent advice always (laughs) irrelevant exactly Well, I'm very glad I met you. Thank you so much for your time and all the best.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Tanya, and everyone.